When I was 26 years old, that's been a long time ago, I uh, was asked by Pastor E.W. Lucas to preach with several other fellows in a Bible conference in Appomattox, Virginia. And Brother Mahan and I drove over there together. There were several preachers much older than myself. All of them were much older than me. And I was scheduled to preach one night, and I was working, studying, getting ready to preach. And Brother Mahan came by the room. We sat down visited a little while. And, and he got up and started to leave, as was his custom. When he got ready to leave, he, came, he told me why he came. He said, uh, I know you're preparing to preach tonight. He said, as you do, ask God to give you something out of that book that speaks to you. If it speaks to you, maybe he'll speak to us by it. If you don't need it, nobody else does. He said, try in your mind's eye to get a picture of an old man who's obviously had a rough life, who's just come in from a hard day's work. He's just buried his only son, and his wife is dying. And find something that he needs. Maybe God will speak by you. I try to do that as I preach the gospel all the time. And I believe God's given me something for you. If you'll open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. The Gospel of Mark chapter 4. Questions are often asked by men, some who believe and some who scoff. If God is love, why is there so much trouble in this world? So much evil, so much heartache. If Christianity is such a great life, why do Christians have so much trouble in their lives? Why do the righteous suffer while the wicked prosper? Such questions cannot be easily answered. Indeed, they cannot be answered at all except by this book. And they can't be answered satisfactorily to anyone except those who believe God. With the perplexing questions that come up in our lives, in our minds, questions we may not express, but questions felt in our hearts and asked in our hearts, I think the Lord God has given some answers for us very clearly here in Mark, the fourth chapter. Let's read beginning at verse 35. And the same day when even was come, the Lord Jesus saith to them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have 
no faith. And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? At the end of a long, busy, busy day, our Lord and his disciples boarded a small ship to cross over the Sea of Galilee. Our Savior had preached the gospel all day in the open air to multitudes. He had explained, given to them the parables of the kingdom and explained them to them. That when they were alone privately, he taught his disciples the meaning of his words. But there was one more work to be done before the day's work was complete. On the other side of the Sea of Galilee, in a place called Gadara, there lived a man, a lunatic, a maniac, who had been in the clutches of Satan for many years. That poor Gadarene maniac was one of those sinners the Son of God had come here to save. The Lord Jesus assumed the responsibility for that man's everlasting soul in the covenant of grace before the world was. Determined to save him, he stood as his surety from everlasting. For more than 30 years now, the Lord Jesus Christ had lived on this earth as that man's representative to bring in everlasting righteousness specifically for him, obeying God's will and God's law in every detail on his behalf. And soon the Son of God would die to redeem that poor sinner's soul. Now the time of love had come when this wretched man must obtain God's mercy and God's grace in the sweet experience of the new birth. As he must needs go through Samaria to save that Samaritan woman at the appointed time of love, so now he must go over the Sea of Galilee to save the maniac of Gadara. So our Savior said to his disciples, let us pass over to the other side. His labor for the day could not end until he had spoken peace to this Gadarene, until he had given this Gadarene the blessed assurance of peace and pardon and eternal life as the chosen object of his mercy, love, and grace. And the Gadarene, when he met the Savior, and the Lord Jesus had cast the demons out of him, he's found sitting at the Master's feet. That's the place where God's people are found. He's sitting there clothed, clothed in the garments of God's salvation, and in his right mind, believing on the Son of God. That's what grace does for sinners such as we are. And then as the disciples began to cross the sea, before our Lord and his disciples in their little boat reached this wild Gadarene, they crossed the Sea of Galilee, and as they did, there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. I try to picture the scene. The disciples were terrified. It seemed that death was both certain and imminent. But the Lord Jesus was fast asleep on a pillow in the back of the ship. And these frightened disciples woke him up crying in despair, Master, don't you care that we're about to die? Carest thou not that we perish? And when they said that, the Lord Jesus arose and calmly rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. 
Then the master gently reproved his disciples, those fearful, unbelieving disciples, and the story ends. Three times this specific story is recorded in Holy Scripture by divine inspiration. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three give us a record of this event in our Lord's earthly life. Obviously, God the Holy Ghost intends that we remember it and that we learn from it. The fact is, it is easy enough for us to see the storm, the winds, the waves, the tossing of the ship, and the threat of death. But as we read the story, our minds ought to be focused not on the storm and the waves and the little ship that's being tossed about in the sea, but rather our minds ought to be focused on the Lord Jesus himself, the ruler of the storm. That's my subject this evening, the ruler of the storm. Whatever the storm is, into which the Son of God sends you, whatever the storm is, He is the ruler of the storm. Now get that, and you've got everything I have to say tonight. Christ is the ruler of the storm. Let's hold our Bibles open here at Mark chapter 4, and I pray that God the Holy Ghost will speak His word to you and write it upon your hearts. Remember that this is what our Savior did with His disciples while he walked upon this earth with them in the flesh. And when you read what he did with his disciples while he walked on this earth with them in the flesh, understand that he has experienced and undergone no change and never will. What he was then, he is now. What he did then, he does now. And what he was and did then, he will be and do tomorrow. He is the same. His years change not. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. Blessed be his name. He never changes. Now let me show you four or five things in this portion of Scripture. Number one, I'm certain the Spirit of God has recorded this event to show us that following Christ will not shield us from the storms of life. Many people have the idea that faith in Christ is the end of trouble. That is not the case. Many have the idea that if you faithfully follow and obey the Lord Jesus, everything is peaceful and tranquil in your life. That is rarely the case. Here, our Lord's disciples, these chosen men, these first believers in the gospel age, men who had forsaken family and friends and livelihood, to follow the Savior. These men were in the midst of a horrible storm. They were saved men, true believers. They were following the Lord Jesus, but suddenly, as they followed Him, without any warning or preparation, they're in the midst of a terrible, terrible storm. The fear of death seized them. It looked like death could not be averted by any means. What these faithful men experienced that evening all faithful men and women experience in this world. In the world, 
So long as you are in this world, you shall have tribulation. We must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Though we are believers, though I trust we follow Christ, we will have our appointed share of sickness and pain, sorrow and weeping, vexation and disappointment, partings and separations, bereavement and death. Our Lord never promised any of His children in this world material prosperity, bodily health, financial success, domestic peace, earthly ease, or longevity of life. Those things are promised to no one. He does promise His presence. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Look at two of my favorite texts of Scripture. Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah 41. Hear the Savior speak to you. Verse 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. That ought to stop us from being fearful of anything. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Turn over to one page to chapter 43. Now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom. Ethiopia and Seba for thee. He doesn't promise a life of ease. He promises us his presence. And that makes our life a life of ease in the midst of trouble. If only we could believe him. He doesn't promise us a life of ease. But he does promise his grace. He says in the midst of every difficulty. In the teeth of every trial. In the midst of every heartache. My grace is sufficient for thee. And his grace, he has proved, has he not, is sufficient for every time of need. Our Lord Jesus makes it very clear that faith in him, obedience to him, does not shield us from trouble. The scriptures plainly tell us that these disciples were in this ship. Because they were obeying the master. He said, let us go over to the other side. Get in the ship and cross the sea. And as he gave them that command, and they followed that command, the master was sending them on purpose directly into the eye of this storm. He's the one who made the storm. And he set the storm where it was. And he sent his disciples immediately into it. These disciples then were being obedient to him. Whatever the storm is that you 
have to endure, my brother, my sister. Though it seems to threaten your very soul, if you believe the gospel, if you trust Christ, you can be assured of certain things. Let me give you just three. Whatever the storm is, it comes to you by the hand of God, your heavenly Father. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. I have, now we have, many of our family and friends in this congregation and around the world going through heavy trials. Heavy trials ordered and sent by God, who loved his own, chose them, redeemed them, called them by his grace. God, who holds them by the right hand of his righteousness, and says, come, follow me, and go with me now through this storm. They're ordered by him. Eli, you remember, I think I mentioned this to you last week, last time I preached to you. He went through a terrible, terrible storm. Imagine, uh, just imagine, Lindsay, that you, your two children, God suddenly took them in judgment and said, it's your fault. Because you refused to correct them. Eli's boys were rebels, and Eli was a lenient father, and let them get by with their rebellion with no correction, and for that reason, God killed them in judgment. And even in the teeth of that, Eli said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. When Job went through the trials and difficulties he had, and what trials they were, and just one on the heels of another, each one becoming more and more severe, each one greater and greater loss, each one greater and greater pain. And finally, Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped God. Oh, God, give me such grace. He said to his wife, Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? Whatever the storm is, it is designed by God for your good. He chastens us not for his pleasure, but for our profit. He is a good father, a wise father, a gracious father. And he will never cause his child a needless tear. He will never cause his child a needless tear. I think it was Cowper who wrote these words. Bastards may escape the rod, sunk in earthly vain delight. But the true-born child of God may not, must not, if he might. Trials make the promise sweet. Trials give new life to prayer. Trials bring me to his feet. Lay me low and keep me there. And whatever it is that gives new life to prayer, brings me to his feet and lays me low and keeps me there is good for me. Thank God 
for whatever it is by which he graciously forces me to bow at his throne and seek his grace. And third, the Lord will sustain you. He will see you through the trial. And he will see you through that trial to a good end. We read in the 107th Psalm of how the Lord led Israel through the wilderness. And uh, we often talk about how crooked that way was. They just, they went this way and that way and this way and that way, all the while going to the promised land. And uh, just a few day journey, took them 40 years to get there. But this is what God says about the whole 40 years. He led them forth by the right way. He led them forth by the right way. Hear me, my brother. Hear me, my sister. All the days of your life, the Lord God has led you by the right way. And he will continue by the, taking you by his right hand. He will continue to lead you by the right way. So leave all to him. Leave your life to God. Leave it to him to determine what's best for you. And be assured he will do what's best for you. All things are of God. And he does all things well. The gospel doesn't promise sinners health and happiness and prosperity. Nowhere. Nowhere. If I told you that believing on the Lord Jesus will make your life a, a happy, easy life and bring peace to your family and everything will be, just be rose-colored from then on, I'd be lying to you. And these preachers, health, wealth, prosperity preachers of our generation who teach such are lying, deceitful men. They're lying only to get what they can from you. The gospel doesn't promise anything in this world for God's people except tribulation. That's all it promises. But it promises eternal life, eternal salvation, the blessedness of everlasting glory with Christ our Redeemer, perfect righteousness, complete forgiveness, acceptance with God, permanent acceptance with God, all in Jesus Christ our Redeemer. Blessed be God. Faith in Christ shields us from the wrath of God, but it doesn't shield us from the storms of life. And matter of fact, the Apostle Paul writes by divine inspiration in Philippians 1.29 and says, To you it is given in the behalf of Jesus Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. As God gives you faith, with that faith, God gives heartache. As God gives you faith in his son, with that faith, God sends trouble, tribulation, and pain, by which he tries and proves and strengthens the faith. Second, this event on the Sea of Galilee shows us that God, our Savior, is a real man. Now, I stress that a great deal, I realize, in the last several months. God, our Savior, is a real man. When the waves began to break upon the ship, we read in verse 38 that our Lord Jesus was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep 
on a pillow. What a picture. What a picture. You remember when he came in John 4 to Jacob's well and sat down by the well and said to the Samaritan, uh, give me some water. I'm thirsty. <laughs> I'm thirsty. There he sat. God Almighty, who holds all the waters of the earth in the palm of his hand. He said to that woman, I'm thirsty. Because this one who is our Savior, this one who is our God, is a real man. Like us in all things, sin alone accepted. He had been preaching all day long. All day preaching. And when he got done, he was exhausted. He was tired. He was tired. Not that preaching itself is physically exhausting work, but the strain, the weight of speaking God's word to eternity-bound men. That's exhausting. He'd been preaching the gospel all day long to crowds. And he got into this ship, ship going to take care of another man's needs, going to heal this gathering on an errand of mercy. But he's exhausted. So he lays down in the back part of this ship on a pillar. And that thing is, if he hadn't been plumb exhausted, the, the storm would have awakened him like that. How many times do you go through a storm in your well-secured house? The wind blowing and the winds beating against the wall of the house and suddenly you, you wake up, what's going on? But our Lord was sound asleep in the back of that ship, a tired, tired man. Why does God tell us that? Because the Lord God would have us to understand that he who redeemed us at Calvary is truly a man like us. He who is God our Savior is the perfect man, Christ Jesus our Lord. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Because our Savior is a real man, he is able to save unto the uttermost them that come to God by him. And he's able to understand, to feel, and sympathize with the experiences of his people in this world. Look at Hebrews 2 verse 17. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of his people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. That word succor, what a blessed word. It means help, but it means more than that. It means to help with compassion, to help with feeling. To succor them that are tempted. Because the Lord Jesus is a man like us, bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, he's a sympathizing priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. God, your Savior, knows what you're going through. He's been there. 
And whatever touches you, touches him. I can't say that like I wish I could. Whatever touches you, touches him. He knows the heart of man, the pains of a man's body, the difficulties of a man's life, even the fears of a man as he lives in this world. For he is a man, a man just like us. Listen to this. In the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, he was heard in that he feared. <laughs> what a word. What a word. Whatever it is that touches you, touches him. You can't feel a pain. You can't know a sorrow. You can't know a need that our Savior doesn't know and feel. In all their afflictions, He was afflicted, the prophet tells us. A few weeks ago, Shelby and I were watching Will playing a basketball tournament, and uh, he took a pretty hard fall. And he's, he's got a neck about that long. And when he fell, his head hit that court. And I, I had to look away and make sure she didn't see me because I couldn't hardly keep him crying. I, I felt the pain. Well, you weren't there. You didn't feel anything. No, but uh, that's my grandson. And he can't hurt without me hurting. That's a very weak Insignificant comparison. Whatever it is that touches you, touches him. Therefore, he says, We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Come with absolute freedom and confidence that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want so much for us to get hold of this. Our Savior lived as a real man. He was tempted as a real man. He bore in His body our sins on the tree as a real man. He died as a real man. He sits in heaven today as a real man, and rules the universe as a man touched with the feeling of our infirmities. A man full of compassion for us who are his people living in this world. Number three. The Holy Spirit clearly shows us in this passage that there is much evil and sin in the strongest believer. We don't need proof of this for ourselves you know it. But we seem not to think this to be the case with others. We uh, recognize something of evil in ourselves, but we, we tend to think others shouldn't be like we are. The fact is, these disciples, these faithful men, these bold men, they, these men 
who swam against the tide the whole time they followed the Savior in this world. These men who ran constantly against the trend of public religious opinion, these bold, faithful men, when they were in that ship, in that storm, they were full of fear. They said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? They should have known better. They should have believed more. They should have trusted more. But I'm going to tell you a little something I have learned. Fear has no a logic. You can't reason with fear. These poor men heard the wind and they saw the waves and they felt the waters and they felt the ship shaking beneath them and they quickly forgot everything they had seen and heard and learned and experienced in the previous three years. Like that is go. I mean, like that. Everything, everything was out the window. They forgot it all. How like them we are. I offer no excuse for any man's sin and unbelief. Not mine, not yours, not theirs. But I do want to help you if I can. Even when you stumble and fall in unbelief. For even the greatest examples of faith given in the scripture had horrific fits of unbelief. Abraham, that man who is the father of the faithful. That, that man who is the example of faithfulness and faith. When he was before Abimelech in Abimelech's land, feared, feared, and said to Sarah, you, uh, you, you tell him you're my sister, not my wife. He might kill me to get you. Elijah. <laughs> oh, I'd like to be a tithe of the man he was, wouldn't you? Elijah. That man stood before the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and he defied every one of them. He, he, he stood alone for God in the midst of an, a whole apostate group of people. And then he fled like a little child in fear from Jezebel. David, the man after God's own heart, the giant slayer, was overtaken by time, for time by fear and unbelief. He said, I shall one day perish by the hand of Saul. <laughs> Peter. He's in the garden with the Lord Jesus and they come out to take him and arrest him and Peter takes out his sword. It was, it was just a fisherman's knife and he starts to attack the high priest servant, cut off his ear. And the next night in Pilate's judgment hall, he trembles before a little girl. You see, there's not much to you and there's not much to me except sin. There's not much else to us. Sometimes the Lord leaves his children for a season like he did Hezekiah. You remember what the scripture says about Hezekiah? God left him to try him that he might know all that was in his heart. Sometimes God leaves us to ourselves for a little while to teach us what we are. Just see it. Just see it. We need to be constantly reminded that salvation is by grace alone. That our only righteousness 
is Jesus Christ. Our only redemption is His blood. And we need to learn to be patient, forbearing, long-suffering, and forgiving with one another. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Help him. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let us never conclude that someone is an unbeliever, has no grace because he has much sin. The fact is, there are spots in the sun, but we still walk in the sun's light and enjoy its warmth. There's never been any gold found in this world that didn't have dross, but I've never known a man to despise the gold because of the dross. Diamonds have their flaws, but no one throws away the diamond because it has a flaw. Should we not cherish God's people as God's people? In spite of their falls, in spite of their faults, in spite of their difficulties, indeed, even the more in the realization of those things, for Christ loved them and redeemed them and called them and made them his so that they, like us, just as you say, are as he is. And they are to be esteemed by us in just that way. God make me quick to see grace and slow to see sin in my brethren. It's shameful, utterly shameful. But it is a fact that you and I, God's people in this world, believers, sinners saved by God's grace, are far more quick to see, observe, and talk about another's faults, his weaknesses, his failures, his shortcomings. Something we see, he shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have, he shouldn't have... Merle, why are we so quick to see those things and so slow to observe the good? I'll tell you why. Because we are by nature proud, sinful, self-righteous creatures. And the Lord God sometimes, as he did Hezekiah, leaves us to ourselves for a season so that we might know what is in us. So that we might know all our heart. Here's the fourth thing. Our Lord Jesus Christ has the power to calm your storm. In verse 39, we're told that he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He who is our Savior is a Savior you can trust. He's proved it over and over again. He maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. Doubt anything else if you must, but never doubt the power and grace and goodness of our Redeemer. He who has all power is able to do all things. What manner of man is this? 
that even the wind and the sea obey Him. The Lord Jesus speaks peace to chosen sinners, overwhelmed by the storm of God's wrath. And he who can do that speaks peace and calm in the storms that terrify our souls. And he will speak peace and calm in the storm that rages in your heart, even when he leaves you in the stormy sea. Cast your care on him, for he careth for you. Cast all your care on him, for he careth for you. Continually be casting all your care on him, for he careth for you. The Lord Jesus can calm your storm. And then learn this. Our great Savior is a very tender master. We read here in Mark 4, when the disciples came and they, in their unbelief, in their fear, Master, carest thou not that we perish? If it had been me, <laughs> oh, I would have, I would have skinned them. I'd have skinned them. I'd, I'd have, I'd have raked them over. I know myself. But our master, so tender, he does speak a word of rebuke, but it's uh, such a tender word that it doesn't have a, a tinge of anger. Not the slightest threat of punishment. Not even a hint of disgust. He just asked them two things. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? <laughs> it's as though he had said, there's no reason for your fear. There's no reason for your unbelief. Haven't I proved that to you? I'm with you. I've taken care of you all this time you've been following me. I've fed you and clothed you. I've provided everything for you. I've protected you. I've taken care of you. Why are you so fearful? There's not any reason for that. Let all the world know this. Our Lord Jesus will never cast off his own because of their sin and their falls, and their fears, and their unbeliefs. Neither should we. Why are you so fearful, my brother? Why so fearful, my sister? Why? How is it that you have no faith? Any time, in any circumstance. The other night, coming home from Alabama, Shelby and I, car broke down in the middle of the night, uh, people down below Liberty and getting late and uh, uh, four hours later finally got a record to come pick us up standing out there on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere and as we got in the car actually got in the truck the record pulling us home uh, Shelby said uh, the Lord God fixes it so that a dog shall not move against you dog will not bark against my people no, no harm come to God's own in any circumstance. Several years ago, Brother Mayhem down in Mexico in the Chiapas Highlands with Brother Bilton Howard, his wife Claudia, and several folks in the truck. They'd gone to 
uh, one of the mission points, preaching horrible rainstorm. We washed out the roads and narrow, narrow mountain roads like you only see in those third world places. And uh, some of the ladies in the vehicle were getting real distressed and excited. And Milton was driving the truck and just pitch dark. And Henry said, Milton, if you don't mind, stop the truck. He said, uh, now y'all listen to me. We're here doing what God sent us to do, to preach the gospel of his grace. And he is worthy of our trust. Be calm. Everything's all right. Hear me, children of God. Whatever the storm, be calm. Everything's all right. He who loved you and gave himself for you is the ruler of the storm. He sends it when he will. Puts you in it for as long as he will. Brings you through it as he will. And when the work is done, he will say, Peace, be still. And there will be perfect calm. For he is the ruler of the storm. Amen.